Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Slam and Jam here on the Athletic NBA Show. Boy, oh boy. It's the day after the trade deadline. What a great day. A great day to subscribe to The Athletic. You can go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for a discounted rate. You're going to get every single breakdown of every single trade. It's a great day to be subscribed to The Athletic. With me, as always, is my good friend Alex Spears. Alex, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night in Indiana with a matchup between the Kings and the Pacers, two teams fighting for the last guaranteed playoff spot in their respective conferences. The game was won by the Pacers, who are led by Benedict Matherin's 31 points. Now, the Pacers have been up and down as of late as they manage Tyrese Halliburton's minutes, but they still sit in sixth in the East at 29 and 24. For the Kings, the game wasn't all bad news. Demonis Sabonis set the Kings franchise record for most consecutive double-doubles with his 30th straight double-double, breaking a record once held by the Big O. On Saturday, the Sixers soldiered on without Joel Embiid, who underwent the most vaguely described medical procedure on Tuesday. <laughs> the Sixers would play five players in the game, Marcus Morris Sr., Daniel House Jr., Patrick Beverly, Jane Springer, and Furkan Korkmaz, who would not be on the roster by the end of the week. The Sixers lost the game 121-136. to The story of the game, though, was Cam Thomas, who had his fourth 40-point game of the season, tying guys like uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Trey Young. Now, was Cam Thomas snubbed from the All-Star game, Andrew? No, but it remains impressive that he is quietly averaging over 21 points per game as a 22-year-old. On Sunday, we had a double overtime game in Oklahoma City between the Raptors and the Thunder. The Thunder were down by as much as 23 in the third quarter, but made a game out of it by the fourth with a 17-2 run. The Thunder had five players score 20 or more points in the game and finally finished the wraps off in double OT, 135 to 127. The Thunder are 35 and 16 and continue to be in the jumble of teams at the top of the Western Conference, a race that is so close that the Clippers dropped from first to fourth with a single loss and despite going eight and two in their last 10 games. On Monday, those aforementioned Clippers were in Atlanta doing their best to recreate the magic of that Pacers-Hawks game earlier this year. The final score was Clippers 149, Hawks 144 in regulation. Clippers got to 149 by hitting 21 of their 35 threes, which is 60% in the game. 60% from three. Huh. Kawhi had 36 points, Harden had 38 and 10. The Hawks are now 22 and 29, two games up on the Nets for the 10th seed and two and a half games behind the Bulls for the ninth seed. What a little trio there, huh? Mm. Three teams committed to doing absolutely nothing in pursuit <laughs> of absolutely nothing. On Tuesday, the All-Star replacements were announced in the East as a result of the injuries to Julius Randle and Joel Embiid. Scotty Barnes of the Toronto Raptors making his first All-Star appearance and Trey Young 
of the Atlanta Hawks will be representing their teams in Indianapolis in less than 10 days. Scotty Barnes has had a breakout third-year campaign, averaging 28-6, and six, while Trey Young has continued to dominate statistically, averaging 27 points and 11 assists, only the fourth player in NBA history to hit those numbers. Yeah. There are no injury placements as of yet in the West, which means the crimes against the Sacramento Kings continue. Andrew, when will we have justice? Justice shall be served. I hope so. Well, actually, I, don't, I mean, I hope no one gets injured, I, but <laughs> I hope a king makes it eventually. <laughs> uh, on Wednesday, the reason the Clippers dropped from first to fourth was the New Orleans Pelicans, who came into LA and beat the Clippers 117 to 106. CJ McCollum scored 13 of his team high 25 in the fourth quarter, while the Pelicans, as a team, scored 26 points off of 19 Clippers turnovers. The Pelicans have now won four in a row, which is currently the longest streak in the West. They've moved up to sixth, only a half game back of the Suns for the fifth spot. The Pelicans continue their road trip tonight with a game against the Lakers on NBA TV. And finally, it was trade deadline day on Thursday, yesterday. In total, we got uh, 15 trades, 39 players moved. We'll talk about it all later. But in the meantime, let's check in on the Bucks who got blown out by Minnesota, 129-105 to on Thursday night. Now, it wasn't too much of a surprise, considering the Bucks were without Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, uh, also Campaign, who they traded earlier that day. The Bucks are still 33-19, third in the East. They've lost five of their last six, and in the last two weeks, according to Cleaning the Glass, 20th-ranked offense, 19th-ranked defense. Is it time to panic? I say sure, why not? What difference does it make? <laughs> What a week it was, Andrew. What a week indeed. Now, before we get to the trade deadline and our guest, hey, let's go to the BetMGM line of the week. Brought to you by BetMGM. I want to talk about most improved. Uh, I got a chance to to watch the, the Bulls earlier this week as they beat the Minnesota Timberwolves. That could just not be more impressed with Kobe White. Kobe White's so good. Right now, third best odds at plus 850. Right now okay. to win. Tyrese Maxey's has pole position at minus 400. Shengun is actually second at plus 650. But mm. just looking at the role that Kobe White plays for this Bulls team, I would have never imagined he could do something like this. He went from 9.7 points per game to 19.4 points per game. I mean, that's got to be statistically the biggest jump. He's shooting 40% from three on seven attempts per game. Seven, he's very good, and he's got to have the most unique look in the league. Like no one else looks like Kobe White. Like he's just got an awesome look. He's got an awesome game. He's improved dramatically, and maybe some of it that he's kind of buried on this like nothing Bulls team. You know, I, I guess maybe that's yeah. part of it because people aren't watching the Bulls. But man, tune in for any rando Bulls game, and you're gonna notice like, oh my gosh, like that's Kobe White. Like Kobe White's doing this. He's had an amazing season. Yeah. To me, to me, I want I would want to hand him the award. I yeah, I, I think Tyrese Maxey is correctly, you know, his odds are correct. I mean, he has been incredible. But I feel like the spirit of this award deserves a player like Kobe White. Yes. Like I, I, I like when players like Kobe White win this award, as opposed to a player who was already very good and just made another jump. Um, I think Tyrese Maxey absolutely deserves it. And it's actually going to be interesting the rest of the season. You know, depending on how long Embiid is out, it's really going to be an opportunity for Maxi to step up. You know, 
that first game without, he had 51 points, <laughs> but it's been tougher since then because of all their other injuries. Yeah. And so yeah. he's going to have so much more attention on him. They did get Buddy here. I was going to say, Buddy will help. Buddy will help. But it, it's going to be so much tougher for Maxi the rest of this way. And mm-hmm. if he's able to continue what he was doing without Embiid, I mean, then you have to give it to yeah, him. Because that, that is super impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think there's maybe a little window opening for Kobe White, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Who, who's who's below Kobe? Just what are some of the other names? Kaminga is plus eighteen hundred is next. He's fourth? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Kaminga's fourth. Scotty Barnes is fifth. Who's somebody that I've had earlier as as somebody yeah. that I like because yeah. I I mean he's much improved. He he's very, very good on both ends. Cam Thomas is plus five thousand. Oh, there we go. And the next Let's one. Go. Jaylen. How many how many forty point games would Cam Thomas have to have for you all to give him most improved? Oh, I, I think what would, he, have, what would he need to be? He's already at four. I, I don't. You I think, 10, he, I think he could have. I think he could have twenty, and that people and it would matter. I I honestly think that he's on a team where he's it's like someone has to score the points kind of situation. How dare you? I know. How dare Trust you? Trust me. I'm 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 saying this for the community. I'm saying this for the community. Feels this way. Uh, and then Jalen Williams from the Thunder is plus ten thousand. I, yeah, he, he's been great, but he's been those, very those good. Are the type of players I don't think should win. Most yeah, of like the statistical jump is there, but it's not nine to nineteen. You know, like hey, you said nine to nineteen. Guess what? Uh, <laughs> Cam Thomas has done, Andrew. What is Cam Thomas? Ten point six, ten point six to twenty one point three. Hey, you know what? Hey, think about it. It. You know, honestly, I'm sorry, yeah. Cam Thomas. I just want to say I'm sorry for for anything I've ever said about you. Uh, hey, we're going to talk to Sam Amick all about the trade deadline right now. All right, we're here with Sam Amick here on the Slam and Jam. You can you can listen to him every Thursday on the Tampering Pod. Uh, today we are going to break down the trade deadline with Sam because he, he's the guy. He's got the he's got the goods. Sam's got the goods all the time. So Sam. Let's let's talk about this deadline. We saw a lot of role players moved, uh, but no big names once OG and Siakam were off the board. Based on the intel leading up to the deadline, were there any deals for bigger names that you were surprised that didn't get done? Yeah, I mean the one. It's it's. I hate to give you the obvious answer, guys, and thank you for having me, Andrew and Alex. Um, I the the Dejounte Murray Lakers stuff. I think on on the tampering pod or one of my other times when I was yakking about the league I, I might have called that trade uh, seemingly inevitable yeah. you know like that was it had a sense of inev- inevitability that that ultimately uh, I proved to be incorrect so that's the one I wrote a lot about it um, but man it's last couple of years you know if you go back to when LeBron first went to the Lakers it's been so tricky to cover and unpack and analyze the Lakers clutch sports um, relationship and dynamic and, and so DeJounte is a clutch sports guy and you had you know yet again this kind of situation where uh, you know Rich Paul had not to get too macro here but but Rich Paul founder of clutch sports LeBron's agent had uh, early on in the trade season chosen to go on record with me in relation to Zach Levine right another mm-hmm. clutch client and talked about how contrary to popular belief and reports out of Chicago he was not trying to push Zach Levine to the Lakers because it had been reported basically that Zach at that time was like a one-team market. So you had that subplot. Then you get to DeJounte, and the idea was that, okay, the Lakers had made it pretty clear they didn't have interest in Zach. 
Um, Clutch and Rich and LeBron seem to be fine with that, understood it. He's got a huge contract. But DeJounte might fit a little better, might be more of a compromise pick. Um, And then toward the end, it seemed like, with LeBron sending out all of his smoke signals and social media messages and everything he did in New York, that, um, that maybe this would be one where you know, if he wants the guy on the team, that, that it would get over the finish line. But it didn't. You know, obviously Atlanta chooses to stand pat. Uh, made my uh, inaugural all-stand pat team that I wrote about today. Yeah. Uh, one of five teams that really didn't do anything we thought they would. So, yeah, for me, it'd probably be the Hawks-Lakers-Murray uh, deal. Well, one, one of your other stand pat teams was the Bulls, who are one of the most talked about teams in the run-up to the deadline. They end up doing nothing, and outside of a small deal for a second-round pick, they have not made a trade to acquire a player since August 2021. In your opinion, how much of their inaction was due to the lack of quality offers at the deadline versus their own lack of a plan? Great context, Alex. As a brief, uh, lighthearted aside, I always love the Between Two Ferns vibe you have going behind you. That oh, thank shout you. out to the, uh, <laughs> the uh, is it Zach Galifianakis show? That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, indeed, indeed. Also, Alex, I know I'm just I'm now I'm just pumping you up. You you have the best voice on the Athletic NBA Show pod. I'm oh, just gonna wow, put that out you. there. Love it, love it. An honor. Um, but yeah, the context is great. As far I honestly hadn't like slowed down when it comes to the Bulls to to realize that they hadn't made a move since 2021. Um, I mean that's wild, you know. And and really, what it speaks to is you know Arturus Karnasovic takes over that front office. And I wish I had the date in front of me. You guys might be able to cheat and help me out as far as exactly when he was hired away from Denver. Uh, but obviously, they, they he came in there like gangbusters and made a bunch of moves. They were competitive right away. They were the number one seed in January in that first year. And we thought they were going to have a long runway. Lonzo Ball was going to be part of the future. And, and things were bright, right? And and now it's like, man, they, you know, I had a crack in my story about them that, you know, and this is a very dated, dated reference, but you know, it was an old song back in 1973 called Stuck in the Middle with You yeah. that uh, that came to mind because it's like that's all these teams and the Bulls are one of them mm-hmm. that they're stuck in the middle. Um, and I, I probably should have credited, if I'm being honest, in the column, uh, the legendary Michael Wilbon. So he was on ESPN yesterday talking about Jerry Reinsdorf. And and I'm always, and Andrew, you know this, like I love unpacking the the human element of, of the league yeah. and why certain things happen. So Wilbon pointed out that Reinsdorf is 87 years old, which the only reason that is kind of worth mentioning is that you led the franchise that won six championships. You know the history. They still play the music in the building. Um, Bulls fans are still coming out, pulling their checkbooks out, you know, filling the, the, the arena. And by and large, even when you have a team that is stuck in the middle, you're still not only making money, but having a decent time, you know, half the time. Yeah. And, and, and when you, when the owner is at this stage in life, you know, the observation that Wilbon made was maybe that's just enough. Maybe it's just, that is the desire to not bottom out and to rebuild. Like I think most executives would think they should, that the, the motivation and the driving force it might in fact be the guy who runs the shop. And that, and I don't know what else to point to because DeMar DeRozan is going to be a free agent. Now, listen, I, I was told yesterday from DeMar's camp that he is very, he likes it there. Like he he could resign if the number is right, but he's going to be pushing for a, a big number. He's still a very productive player. Yeah. Um, so that is by no means a certainty that he could be back. And, and then you could have the debate about whether they should want him back based on their timeline and 
what they're trying to do. Because once you get past Kobe White, who is is obviously just having an incredible year, you know, Patrick Williams in the last year of his deal, um, Lonzo with the just incredibly unfortunate knee problems that have got him out. I think he's supposed to be starting to, to run in January, but he's missing two seasons. Um, they, I mean, Andrew, on our pod, we, we give the Warriors a hard time a lot about having two tracks, young yeah. and old. Yeah. Like the Bulls are taking this thing, you know, to a, to a different level and not obviously having had any of the success that a team like the Warriors have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the Kings were another team that disappointed some fans with their lack of moves. They have dropped into the play-in range. You know, the second most difficult remaining schedule, according to Tankathon. How active was Sacramento at the deadline? I mean, they were active, but the type of activity that I didn't really get clarity on until trade deadline day, admittedly, was it, it was all around the edges. And I'm talking like really far around the edges. Uh, and that part surprised me. Like it almost feels like, I don't know this, but it almost feels like, you know, these are questions that crossed my mind. Did did they go to, you know, they actually have a leadership council Mike Brown has created, and I forget who all's in it, but presumably mm-hmm. Fox and Sabonis. Yeah. Um, and the, did they go to their leaders and say, what do you want to do here? Because there was a sentiment that literally the top seven, like it went from around the league, people saying Fox, um, Sabonis, and Murray, untouchable. Everybody else up for grabs. Now, did those talks happen? Of course, yes. So that was not inaccurate. But by the end, the 11th hour, it became based on the market, based on what they saw available, we're good with our top seven. Like you're going all the way to seven yeah, and acting as if, you know, you didn't want to touch that. So everything was around the edges. You know, what I tried to write in the column and crystallize for people was that the impact players that they flirted with, you know, those things happened well in advance of the deadline. The Pascal Siakam thing, I still actually would like to learn more about it because I've heard that it was actually incredibly close to happening and, and it's an interesting one because i know for a fact that siakam's camp had not been notified and, and they were surprised you know they were skeptical the entire time that sack would do the deal because they hadn't heard from sack so they wouldn't do it without calling us would they and hmm. seems like they they maybe were on the verge of doing that um you know some rumblings that toronto might have changed the deal and, and tried to get more at the end and that's what blew it up but regardless Later found out, at least I later found out, that Siakam didn't want to be there. Like, it's it's a real hard line. Like, he wasn't going to resign. So, I think I'd probably argue that, you know, it was better for them not to do that deal. OG Ananobi's the other one where they made more of an internal calculus that he wasn't the guy worth putting everything on the table for and paying $40 million this summer in free agency. Agree or disagree, that was how they saw that. And then there wasn't an impact guy at the deadline. So it became all around the the edges, you know, the Kyle Kuzman chatter that had been out there. Um, you know, again, I didn't really get this crystallized till yesterday, but they had been out on him for a while. Can't exactly say why, but they they just weren't going down that road. So um, the other guys, you know, Royce O'Neal would have really, really helped them. Um, yeah, that was the one that kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, and I at first I was going to say, uh, you know, as I was doing the story, like, all right, based on price tag, you could argue that they should have done what they had to do to get him. But it was a pretty big price tag. Once you figure everything in the three-team trade with Memphis, Phoenix, and Brooklyn, um, you know, for one, the three-team component creates an element where, again, you don't really know what the talks look like. But if you're the Kings, like you obviously, there was a party going on over here that you couldn't get in on, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I don't know what it would have taken for the Nets to go the Kings way with that one. But basketball-wise, he would have helped. Dorian Finney-Smith was on their radar. You know, I'd reported Caleb Martin to give him a little more offensive juice, um, you know, in shooting. Um, and uh, and DeLon Wright was the other one. So, you know, their fans are certainly disappointed. As you guys know, I live here locally and, and have constant feedback there. So their fans are, are frustrated because they they are happy that they're probably going to get to the playoffs again. But they, you know, but the idea of them getting out of the first round looks pretty unlikely. Hmm. So one team that did not stand pat was the Sixers, who traded for Buddy Heald, but otherwise kept their powder dry for the summer. Shortly after the deadline, there was a report from Chris Haynes that the Sixers are expected to pursue Paul George if he doesn't sign an extension with Clippers. Now, given how good the Clippers have been and the fact they're moving into a new arena next season, how far-fetched do you think it is that PG would actually be available this summer? It sounds kind of unbelievable. Yeah, I, I feel like it's pretty far-fetched. I'll give a, a hat tip to Chris. Very good reporter, very plugged in, um, you know, and so worth watching because he, you know, kind of shed light on it. But I would totally agree in terms of the skepticism uh, that the Clippers are going to let him get away. Uh, for one, you had Kawhi Leonard, who doesn't say much publicly to begin with, let alone about internal affairs. Kawhi Leonard speaking publicly after he did his extension and then, you know, really plainly stating that he anticipated Paul getting locked up and then James getting locked up. Um, James Harden, that is, of course. Mm. And so that, I mean, was that just Kawhi reflecting the internal kind of state of affairs or was it him applying pressure to the Clippers? I don't know. Probably the former. Uh, even if it was the latter, you know, I, I would anticipate Paul getting taken care of. Paul is obviously from uh, Palmdale, nearby LA, you know, LA region boy wanted to come home they're finally getting this thing done uh you know they're atop the west almost um they look fantastic now you never know there's the qualifier of what do the playoffs look like what happens but there's not like a lot of times there's like paul in indiana there were driving forces where you said well here's why he's probably going to leave you know falling short of expectations not being happy with the front office those types of things that Paul experienced with the Pacers, those do not exist with the Clippers. Um, so I, I'd be surprised if he was available. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, another team that I was very, very interested in going into the trade deadline is the Nets. They ended up trading Spencer Dinwiddie and, and Royce O'Neal are both expiring contracts, but they're currently 20 and 31, two games out of the play-in. Why do you think Brooklyn ended up not moving any of their bigger pieces? And what do you think their plan is moving forward? Are they Donovan Mitchell or bust or where is this heading? Tough to tell. I mean, I know, you know, coming out of the the Durant, Kyrie Harden saga, um, I, I remember having a good chat with Sean Marks this season, uh, Nets GM, when they came through San Francisco. And admittedly, because I'm West Coast based, I don't get to connect with Sean very often in person. And, you know, and I think it's all fair to share because it was very generic conversation about where their franchise was. And there was a sense of pride slash relief um, and even accomplishment that they, that even with all the drama and everything they'd been through, that, you know, that it, his, his message was kind of that it's not real easy to come out of that sort of chaos um, and, and not be too unscathed when you mm -hmm. talk about the roster mm -hmm. and your ability to build and plan going forward so you know it's but but they are running the risk of being you know another one of these stuck in the middle teams yep. 
because Mikael Bridges <clears throat> is a dynamic, you know, player. You probably one of those classic guys that you talk about. You know, is he the second best player on the championship team? Third best player? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's perceived as a, as a number one on a title team. So, is Donovan Mitchell that guy? Well, guess what? I mean, Donovan. I know we're going to kind of talk about the summer here in a minute, guys. I think, but Donovan is quickly becoming you know, potentially the bell of the ball this summer, except guess what? The Cavs are pretty damn good. So that part, you know, it has to be taken into account. But as it relates to Brooklyn, if you're putting all those eggs in the Donovan Mitchell basket, you you know, you very might, very well might get disappointed. The Lakers want to be in on that reportedly. The Knicks, of course, you know, the Knicks are suddenly becoming, you know, right across the river, um, the the more enticing team of the two in New York. They just Mm -hmm. are. I mean, they they won the deadline. Um, they've got just so many good things going for them, and and now have like this lane to fill with one more guy, like the guy in Donovan Mitchell, who actually thought he was getting traded to the Knicks before he went to the Cavs, and who you know grew up, I think, looking that direction as a fan when when he was growing up in Connecticut. So um, I don't know exactly what the Nets are doing. I think they're patient. Um, you know, a little surprised that they didn't move some of those guys that I think would have yielded more. But, uh, you know, we'll see where they take it from here. So every year, there's at least one team who raises eyebrows with their moves around the deadline. In your conversations with people around the league, who was that team that left people most confused? Well, in the interest of of, uh, of decent programming, I'm not going to just repeat everything we said about the Bulls. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so I will go to the 1A team, uh, the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I know we talked about Murray. So there's a little duplication here, but I would probably say the Hawks because if you're if you're if we're being honest about it, what it comes down to is like when other teams executives look at your team and think, do they have something going here? If the answer is no, they then wonder. It's 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 really easy for any of us to judge others, right? That's just a life truth, really. Mm-hmm. But like that's what happens within the NBA is like you look at a team like the Hawks. And you say, okay, the Trey Young experience has been fun at times. You you've gotten some playoff memories. You got to the conference finals, but you're off that track now, and you are spinning your wheels. Uh, so as a result, even if you're not going to trade Murray, um, there's a bunch of teams presumably that would love to have some rim protection with Clint Capella. Bunch of teams who would love to have a, a young player. Now, granted, he's, he's on a big contract, but DeAndre Hunter being available um, and there, you know Bogdan Bogdanovich could help a contender so the idea of what are you holding on to and what are you holding on for it really is I, I referenced the play-in tournament in the column because I do wonder like if you take that out of the equation and these GMs have to face the prospect of actually just being uninvited from the postseason party the second that the regular season ends instead of having this little bit of hope you know called the play-in tournament if you took that away would they make different moves at the deadline i think some of them would um because last year i have this memory of like man when the hawks beat uh miami in the play-in game to advance yeah they were just like they felt so redeemed for for kind of the drama of last season they made front office changes they were feeling themselves and then they get to they take two games against boston and like there was a ton of excitement, it seemed like within the organization then. 
And I got it at the time, but I remember thinking to myself, like, geez, man, they're acting like they won the East, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and they really, they got bounced in the first round. They're, they're like the Kings. They're like teams like that. Um, so that's probably the one where I think people are just wondering, you know, what are you holding on for? Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, another team that is just always interesting is the Lakers. And they resisted LeBron's trade deadline power play, not making a move despite being linked to every major available name. For now, they're a team hovering around 500 despite good health from their stars with ongoing questions about head coach and long-term plan. Do you see any scenario where LeBron isn't a Los Angeles Laker next season? Are there any obvious paths back to contention for the Lakers this summer? Yeah, I mean, two big, big questions for them. Um, I'm going to take the second one first, Andrew, because it relates to the first one. So path to contention, for sure. They choose to not give up any first-round picks at this deadline. As you guys, I'm sure, know, that means they now have three first-rounders available to them this summer. The, you know, you talk about Donovan Mitchell. You like, let's say the Cavs flame out. Donovan decides he, he would look good in purple and gold. Says, let's do a sign and trade. Um, you know, you have three firsts available for something like that, or somebody else. Or if you want to break it up and do what they did last year at the deadline, get a bunch of good pieces like, like D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura and and uh, and guys like that. Um, Jared Vanderbilt. So they have a path toward contention this summer for sure and being quiet at the deadline uh, allowed them to have that path now that was a controversial decision because LeBron is 39 years old and you can't take for granted that he's playing like this and that he's going to play like this as a 40 year old you also can't take it for granted because he got that player option this summer so uh, yeah I do see a world where if things don't fall in line a certain kind of way that LeBron, I mean, I'm saying this as somebody who's just covered so much craziness in the league over the years. Like, there's no way I'm going to say, you know, never to to the idea of LeBron not finishing with the Lakers, especially when one of now now I do I, I want to learn more about how the Knicks see LeBron because mm-hmm. I don't have clarity there. That yeah. matters a lot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just hear the name LeBron and we assume that all 30 teams would want to have him. That's not the case. Um, but so compartmentalize that aspect for a minute but man you talk about if if you're looking at it from LeBron's side a potential storybook ending you've already got this legacy as an all-time mercenary in terms of you know from Cleveland to Miami to Cleveland to LA mm-hmm. um, then you got this Knicks team with so much personal history for one you've always lifted up the Big Apple and the Garden and talked about your love of that stage you know you're you're tight with jay-z you know the history spike all these things you come into the garden last weekend with with orange and blue shoes talking about mr james is in the garden um leon rose your former agent is running the team you know rich paul and and leon just made up a couple of months ago you know kind of opening that door again so that that storyline for sure is so interesting and it's it's good you know the question is, is it going to be leverage to get him what he wants with the lakers to put it in a good direction there or does he shock the world and do something like that you know we'll see so looking ahead to the buyout market uh spencer dinwiddie seems to be the biggest name available as of now and the early expectation was that he'd sign with the lakers but 
He was seen sitting behind the Mavs bench last night in their game against the Knicks, and there was also video of him talking to Mark Cuban. Do you think this is a two-team race, and who do you think has the edge? I have not connected with the parties uh, involved, full disclosure, so I don't know exactly where it's at, but just knowing some of the history and the context and then the optics that you hit on, Alex, I would say, you know, the the optics kind of speak volumes and I would, you know, look at Dallas real seriously. Uh, I also think we've seen before, media, myself included, is guilty of putting the Lakers out ahead of everything because it's the Lakers and then realizing that's not the case. Um, now, it was reported, you know, ESPN's Dave McMenamin said they're, you know, one of the leaders in the clubhouse basically is how Dave phrased it. So uh, if I was just a betting man, uh, you know, keep it in the spirit of, of the Super Bowl this weekend, Vegas style, I would I would probably look at Dallas real hard. Um, mm. Basketball wise, you know, they've got a, a good culture. They, they, I think there's players. It sounds funny that like you feel like players respect Luca and Kyrie's game so much that there's kind of this mm-hmm. idea, I think, that like if I could be the guy to come help them and, and kind of remove all the shade that comes their way from, you know, guys like us who constantly point out that they haven't really accomplished much in the playoffs yet together, obviously. And then Luca individually, the one conference finals appearance that, you know, folks kind of shrug at, if we're being honest. Um, you know, I could see Dinwiddie looking at that and saying, yeah, let me go help those guys out. It, do you expect this to be a robust buyout market? Like, are there any other names you're expecting could be potentially be available that teams would be fighting over? I think Alex just wanted to be the first person to say robust buyout market, by the way. So just just throwing <laughs> that out there. He just market. wanted to say how robust this buyout market is going to be. It's better than, you know, dongle talk. It's over better there, than the, Andrew. you know yeah. what? You say that's supposed to say off the pod, all right, man? Keep the dongle pod, to you. keep the dongle stuff to yourself. <laughs> That's uh, a good life rule. Um, yeah, I, I need to, you know, that one I got to explore more. The first name that obviously comes to mind is Kyle Lowry. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and the what seems like, a, uh, I'm going to go back to that inevitable phrase that I missed on with DeJounte and the Lakers. It seems inevitable that he'll be in Philly, yeah. um, especially with the Sixers curiously helping the Bucks in the Pat Beverly deal. Um, not only was that kind of, just kind of wild in its own right, but then makes you feel like, well, you, why would you give up a guy like Pat if you don't think you have another guy in that sort of role yeah. coming in? Um, Kyle, you know, Daryl Morey in Philly was the guy who gave Kyle his first best shot uh, in Houston. Yeah, uh, true. Yeah, he was. He was a backup point guard for the Rockets. Mm-hmm. Daryl believed in him. You know, made his way. They've got a lot of history, so um, I think he's going to probably be the the number one guy there. Go listen to the Tampering Podcast and go read everything that Sam Amick writes. It's great reporting. Very well written. Just just very enjoyable. I always love reading Sam Amick. Sam, thanks so much for coming thanks, on buddy. the show. Appreciate you guys. Be good. All right. Right after this break, we're going to talk more trade deadline with Mike Prada right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. And we're back from that quick break. We've got Mike Prada, who's an editor at The Athletic and the author of Spaced Out, How the NBA's Three-Point Revolution Changed Everything You Thought You Knew About Basketball. Mike, how's it going, man? I'm tired. I'm sure everyone is. Uh, I'm a little... I'm still not sure who's on which team, so this should be an interesting podcast. Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's dig into this. So this wasn't the flashiest trade deadline, and so I want to start with a simple question. Who is the best player traded yesterday? Oh, man. I'm going to give you a really complicated answer. You ready for this? Oh, I'm so ready. Yeah, let's go. Oh, man. Um, the best single player traded... I think was Buddy Heald. Yeah. To Philly. The best package of players traded were Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks. Yeah. The player who is most likely to for us to sit here like three years from now and be like, how the heck did this guy get traded? I'm not saying he will do this, just the most likely. It's probably Quentin Grimes. Okay. Okay. The, the, The player who is most alleviates a key weakness on that team is Daniel Gafford. Oh. And wait, I got one more for you. Ooh, I, got, yeah. I got one more for oh, you. I love this. I love every bit of this. Keep going. <laughs> and the player who is most accomplished, I mean, that's probably, actually, I probably should have led with this one instead of trying to, I should have ended with <laughs> a more, more, a more exciting one is, uh, I think, Gordon Hayward to yeah. Oklahoma City. I mean, that's exciting for us, you know. So, yeah, I know you're yeah. you're excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's not much controversy about that though. He's definitely the most established, you know, player on the board, right? Maybe not. I don't know. I, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, people oh, looking is, at the yeah. athletic this morning, like the, what's what's the picture at the top of the of the blog, the live blog? It's Gordon Hayward. Just get uh, it's, a, it's get actually it. Buddy Heald now. I'm, oh, it is. No! Oh, no! and, and but. And spoiler alert, it's probably going to change by the time this thing comes out. Uh, well, it was well, I know. getting himself a nice little layup, you know. He was also <laughs> the only guy traded yesterday who's made an all-star game. So I would say that counts as most accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, someone you didn't talk about, which is the Phoenix Suns, mm-hmm. who used their last remaining crumbs in their asset stash to trade for Royce O'Neal and David Roddy. They basically traded all those minimum guys that everyone was so excited about last summer. Yuta Watanabe, Kita Bates-Jop, Jamezi Metu, and Jordan Goodwin. How confident are you 
in O'Neal and or Roddy being able to be that missing rotation piece for Phoenix? I actually thought this trade was really funny because you remember that these two teams combined on a slightly bigger deal last last <laughs> year at this time, I right? that one. So I, I kept wondering to myself, you know, you could have just taken Royce O'Neal then. Why'd you wait a year? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could have used him last year. I feel like the Nets, given the rush of the situation, wouldn't have been like, oh, no, you can't have this guy. So I kind of think they're getting worse on the year too late. I feel like he would have helped last year's team more. You know, is he the missing piece? I don't think he's he's not sort of that big wing defender um, that you need. He's kind of it's it's ironic. I think he's sort of in that position he was in in Utah, where it's like, oh yeah, that guy's not bad. He's he's helpful, but like if that's your best wing defender, you're in trouble. Right, it's kind of in the same spot mm-hmm. there. Yeah, uh, I've always really liked him. Like, I just think his, uh, I like his game. I like the way he shoots threes. I think he's got a little extra more playmaking that you don't know. I, I, I just think I've always thought he would help a team. The irony is that I think this team maybe not as much because they already have Eric Gordon and they already have Grayson Allen and they obviously already have Devin Booker and Bradley Beal and presumably one of them will try to play point guard. But it's probably better for them than having three guys who probably won't play to have one guy who definitely will play. I just sort of think it's funny that they... It's almost like they kind of... You know how there's like player to be named later in baseball trades? Mm -hmm. Like, Rossini essentially was the player to be named later in last year's Kevin Durant trade. (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of feel that way. The Knicks were a popular choice for their trade deadline winner after acquiring Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks from Detroit without giving up a first. Thibodeau typically does not like to play defensive liabilities, and so the question is, how problematic is Boyan's defense, and do you expect him to get significant rotation minutes come playoff time? I do. I mean, it, it sort of depends a little bit on you know the big looming que- you know red flag in the Knicks ointment right now, which is that that was a mixed metaphor. Sorry, I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> which is the OG Ananobi injury. I mean, I know it's technically only out three weeks, but I think the calculus really changes if he's out for an extended period of time. Totally. You know, Tibbs has played, I mean, if we're going way back in history, you know, I wouldn't exactly call Carlos Boozer, you know, a defensive stopper. Um, I wouldn't mm-hmm. exactly call Kyle Korver in those Bulls days a defensive stopper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there there are role players he would he will play who are not, defensively inclined and he usually finds a way to scheme around them you know how much Bogdanovich plays I think again just sort of really depends on what happens with OG and what happens with Julius Randle health wise I can't imagine we're going to see based on Tibbs's history a whole lot of minutes of like Boyan at the four and Julius Randle at the five right you know just knowing his history uh and I think Alec Burks really slots in much more obviously, just in terms of his role. Mm-hmm. He's already been there before. But I think Boyan will help them, and I think that they'll find minutes for him because he is still a, quite a threat as a shooter. And I think ultimately the Knicks you know, will find ways to scheme around whatever liabilities he has. And just the question of how much he plays just depends on how healthy the OG and Randall and 
I guess Mitchell Robinson, if he comes back, you know, if he's back, you know, you're definitely not going to see any center minutes. Uh, but I think it's a nice guy to have in your toolbox. And if it doesn't work out for them, you can either release him with his low guarantee or keep him and he becomes, you know, a rich man's Evan Fournier in terms of contracts yeah. and mm-hmm. being able to trade someone and, you know, maybe possibly being stapled to Tibbs's bench once he, you know, gives up a layup to uh, Giannis and transition. So you mentioned uh, Dallas earlier. They had a pretty interesting deadline. Added two rotation players in P.J. Washington and Daniel Gafford. The price was a lightly protected first 2027 and then a swap in 2028, which means they will not control their first round picks from 2027 through 2030. Do you think those additions can be impactful enough to warrant that loss of future flexibility? Yeah, I, I would probably lead no. I mean, I understand why they did it. I think there is logic. I mean, if you look at that team on paper now, it's it's quite deep uh, in terms of a 10-man rotation. As I think Tim Cato has noted, there's optionality. Those guys are Gafford and P.J. Washington are 25. They're not 35. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I get or 30 or any year in between. Um, not even 25 and however many days, 26. So, <laughs> Uh, I think it's uh, I think it, it certainly helps their team. Gafford to me feels an obvious need. You know, whenever Derek Lively's been out of the game, their defense has fallen apart, and their offense has also just been much more one dimensional because you know they don't have that rim rolling threat of Lively. I think it's been cool, but also a little alarming how important Lively has been to the Mavericks this season. Yeah, you know, I don't think they enter the season thinking, man, we we're really screwed if our 19-year-old rookie center isn't in the lineup. So yeah. I think I think having Gafford, who's kind of, you know, a li- not really a lively clone, just sort of like the, how do I describe this? The Daniel Gafford is the archetypal version of what Derek Lively should be. I, I'm not explaining this well, but you know what I'm saying. They're, they're kind of the same player. Mm-hmm. The P.J. Washington thing, I mean... Maybe he kind of revised himself in Dallas, but I, I just don't think he's gotten any better since his rookie year. You know, he's kind of the same player. And I know Charlotte's a bit had been a bit of a mess over that time, but this sort of feels a little bit to me like Christian Wood without the massive attitude problem. Hmm. Um yeah. which is obviously admittedly a big difference. Uh and it doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that they Identify Grant Williams as like, this is a guy that we're willing to trade. I think it was a 2030 unprotected pick swap with San Antonio, who by then could be like a dynasty with Victor Wambanyama and Cooper Flagg. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Not not Cooper Flagg, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they'll be in the running for him. I think they'll be bad enough, you know. Yeah. But can they play together? That's the question. No, but um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you trade that away six years into the future when you don't know what Luka, Don- or like Luka Doncic will be 31, I believe, if he's even on the team. Uh-huh. So you do that to identify Grant Williams and then you cut bait after half a season and when it just doesn't work, it works that spectacularly poorly. It doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that your ability to identify the guy who should be in Grant Williams' slot yeah, you know, it's PJ Washington. So, I'm less high on that one. Uh, to me, I think if you really look, kind of stepping back, it just goes to show that I don't think Luka Doncic is in any danger of being out the door. 
but they're probably looking around at the situation and be like, yo, this guy is like incredible and not young anymore. We we've kind of messed up his the beginning of his prime. Like we need to they're almost like trying to do too much to make it work now. So I my, I understand why, but I'm I'm not super high on the return they got for what amounts to, like you said, a pretty high price because of the flexibility they cost themselves in the summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask you about Gordon Hayward. You mentioned him earlier. Uh, what, do you, what did you think about the deal overall? And then how much juice do you think he's got left? I thought that, I mean, John Hollinger mentioned this, and I'm sure you have mentioned this somewhere in the 7,000 places you're, or you're talking or tweeting yeah. or yeah. whatever. But it kind of was like a nice little salary dump too. So like even if it doesn't work out, it probably helps mm-hmm. them. You know, he's obviously not the big the big man that everybody says the Thunder need, even though Jalen Williams is kind of the the Arkansas guy's kind of sitting right there and mm-hmm. ain't bad. Mm-hmm. Um I think that there will be moments where they may need his kind of creativity off the dribble. I mean, obviously he's not the same scorer. You probably can't count on it in large stretches. But this is a team that probably is, you know, on the lower tier of passing teams, you know, in terms of great contenders. They don't really have that one top passer. It's possible he is the most accomplished passer on the team already. You know, maybe that's – I don't know. I guess Shea would probably be number one. Shame. But it's not yeah. – it's, it's not like they have a secondary playmaker. A lot of it is sort of created via how they run their offense and – sort of the unique things they do. In the playoffs, it's possible that teams will scout that better and will be more on top of it. And you might need somebody to kind of, you know, crack those creases. I think that's what Boston missed a lot during his time in Boston when they ever they would run into the problems in the playoffs. And maybe they still miss it. I mean, obviously, they're not going to get it with this version. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, I think it's a good guy to tool to have around. And, you know, it might swing a playoff game here or there. And if it doesn't work out, he's gone and you save money. So I thought it was a reasonable gamble. Um, and I think probably would have worked out better than like finding a big man or trading even a first round pick for Kel- someone like Kelly Olenek or mm-hmm. someone who you know may have fit better, but sort of not marginally at this point. So I, I like that trade. I thought it was a good move. And I don't know how much it's going to play, but you might sort of connect, stitch the things together and they're in their lineups that could help them win two more possessions in a tight playoff game. Yeah. So so of the teams that didn't make a move at the deadline, thinking teams like Lakers, Kings, Bulls, Nets, Magic, uh, whose lack of activity actually I why don't I why don't I include the Nets in there? They did technically make a move. Uh whose lack of activity was most confusing to you? I mean, uh, besides all of them, uh I think the Lakers are just I'm just like just baffled and the Lakers yeah. doing literally nothing. Yeah. You know, Chicago, maybe I'm more baffled by the Bulls, but like there is sort of like the bigotry of low expectations going on there. You didn't really expect the Bulls <laughs> right. to do anything. Sure. You know, given their history. But like the Lakers, I mean you've got on the one hand, you've got LeBron James tweeting hourglasses and being thirty nine and somehow they they're two games one game over five hundred despite him being healthy and playing really well and him being, oh, by the way, of a free agent next summer, like, you know, that's there. You got that sort of hanging in there. And then you've got all these players, 
including most notably D'Angelo Russell, that they literally s- signed to trade. I mean, why else did they they sign him to that weird yeah. contract? Mm-hmm. They signed him to trade. There's so much fissures in that locker room. There's so many players who believe they should be playing more, you know, aren't sure what their roles are. All of that stuff is going on. If you, and yet, and maybe you don't want to trade Austin Reeves. I think I can respect that. Maybe, you know, there was a claim in Jovan Bua's story today that I thought was really funny, but also instructive that they thought there was a, quote, Lakers tax on their negotiations as if uh, feeling like teams ask for more for them because they're the Lakers. Okay. Which, you know, maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But, I mean, obviously, either way, that's your fault to some degree. Um, for... I just thought they got so caught up in all the noise around them that you almost wonder, like, if they've lost sight of what's right in front of them, which is an average team with two, with a 39-year-old legend and a 31-year-old who gets injured all the time who has somehow stayed healthy, a bunch of bickering players, and a situation where literally last year they make trades and it turns their season around. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand. The only explanation I really have for them not doing anything is that they just were so caught up in sort of infighting and bickering that they just like lost sight of what's in front of them. And I just found that to be baffling. I mean, even a smaller move. I mean, why not get Royce O'Neal? Why not get Dorian Finney-Smith? Why not get Gordon Hayward? I mean, and then the other really baffling thing is that they were like right below, right above the luxury tax line, and didn't go under by trading like, yeah, minimum. It's just the whole thing. It just strikes me as like they're all looking in at each other instead of what they need to do. And I'm just like kind of the end result is just I mean, this Frank is sign of a team that's kind of going nowhere despite having LeBron James. It's sort of like, guys, what are we doing? What is the Let's keep our eye on the prize here. So that mm. that to me was the most baffling. Although you know Chicago also quite strange and Atlanta also quite strange. Frankly, mm-hmm. final question: Is there any team or deal that we haven't talked about that got you most fired up? Maybe a deal that you loved, or maybe you hated, or maybe one you just didn't understand. Mm. You know, the Robin Lopez for luxury tax money trade just. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> going, uh, Daniel House. No, I mean I think the bigger <laughs> thing was the deals that didn't happen. Although I will say that I think Boston made a couple of really under the radar moves. Xavier Tillman and Jane Springer, two guys that I think, you know, again you could slowly see like it's it's game four of a second round series against New York. They're down two one in the Garden, and they're desperate. And Joe Mazzulla is like. God damn, we really can't stop Jalen Brunson. Fine, Jaden Springer, you go in there and you try. And he swings that game in that series. Can't you envision that scenario? You know, yeah. I could totally see that. And I, I think it was also smart that they got those guys rather than maybe a veteran because if you look forward, their cap situation is really difficult. It's going to be really hard for them to make uh, like-for-like trades in the new CBA. So you get guys who are under a form of cost control after the season, you have bird rights on. You can re-sign to sort of contracts maybe in the Peyton Pritchard level, and then those are easier to move for similar players. I thought it was just a smart bit of business. I mean, did it get me super excited? You know, nothing is anything like those luxury tax trades at the end to siphon off a player for the second-round pick to save the order money. But, yeah, I mean, I thought those are good moves. Well, Mike, thank you for answering all of our questions about the trade mm-hmm. deadline, but it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, Deadline Edition. 
Now, uh, you, you've played this before. Uh, how it works, I come up with eight questions. This week, all of the eight questions are related to the 39 players who were traded yesterday in Ooh, some okay. way. Okay. That, that so many? Eight questions. Uh, yeah, 39. Yeah. 39. I, I made an Excel file, and then I realized it was just on a website that I could have Googled at any point. <laughs> um, okay, That's so that right there is a story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you will give me a number between one and eight. It will correspond to a question. Some are easy, some are hard. Some, this week, I would say pretty easy. We'll see if you get them. Uh, so, we'll start me off with a number between one and eight, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, three. Question number three. Only two players traded yesterday have won an NBA championship. Name one. One player that has won an NBA oh championship. <sighs> okay. Uh, yeah, why am I blanking on this? Uh, not Grant Williams. There are uh, them. There are two of them, yeah. Uh, not Grant Williams. Gordon Hayward never won one. Uh, Dennis Schroeder? Dennis Schroeder? No, he didn't win. It is not! God damn it. An NBA champion, Mike. <laughs> Andrew. Any names in your head? Um, I can't remember if he was on that team or not. Um, was, I don't want to, I don't want to be wrong. Oh, um, no, he wasn't trading yesterday. Um, <laughs> was Robin Lopez on that Bucks team? <laughs> no. Dang it, he was on the one that, next that, year. That, that was my next guess. I was like, oh, uh, crap, I forgot that. The two names, uh, one did it with Golden State. I think one did it with Toronto, maybe? Uh, Otto Porter Jr. Oh, Otto Porter. Dang. And Corey Joseph, also an NBA champion. Was that wait, with Toronto? Or was no, wait. Antonio? He, wait, he, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, he wasn't what? on that team. Was he in San Antonio? No, he wasn't on that team. He was in Indiana that year. Well, he it says... Oh, oh he was on San Antonio. Antonio. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. he's been around a long time. Wow. He's been around okay. a while. Yeah. Dang. Uh, yeah. Okay, Andrew. Uh, score zero zero. Board is yours. Was that an easy question to you? Um, if if you had had the list of names in front of you, I would say yes, as it was for me. But no, I don't think that was a super easy. Okay, question. good. Okay, good. Number one. <laughs> question number one. Okay. Uh, what is Davis Berton's career high in points? Now, you get to choose who answers first, Andrew. Oh, boy. You can make Mike this- answer first, and then you go higher or lower. Oh, is this Preston's right rules, or do we have to get it right? Uh, no, you, if you actually, if you get it right, you get a bonus point, mm-hmm. uh, whoever guesses, but the other person just has to go higher or lower than that number. So Andrew, are you feeling confident? 36. 36 is where Andrew sets the bar for Davis Bertans. Did he get there? That one crazy year he had with the wizards. That was so much fun. I'm going to go brutal. So much fun. Who can forget? <laughs> he had like, what was that one game he had like 11 threes? Was it 11 threes? Mm, I'm not telling you anything. 36 is a good, tough number. I'm going to go. I'm going to go higher. 
Andrew, you were within one point. No, but in which direction? <laughs> the correct answer <laughs> was 35. No. Andrew gets the point. Yes. Oh, man. I know I had to stay like around like, does three go into this number? Like that's the, that's the I, <laughs> oh, very smart. Very smart. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, Mike, the board is yours. Uh, let's go four. Question number four. This is a fun one. The only player traded yesterday, as I mentioned, who has made an all-star game in their career was Gordon Hayward. Made the all-star game in 2017 for the Utah Jazz. 2017, 16-17 season. We're going to name all 14 of the players who were oh selected my. as all-star reserves in 2017. All-star reserves, there's, right? Yes. Okay. So there's some landmines because you would instantly think of like, you know, Kevin Durant or Steph. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll let you know right now. 2017, they were starters in the All-Star game. So how this works, uh, Mike, you'll give me a name, and then Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth. So 2017 All-Star okay. game reserves oh for either gosh, conference. Now. Okay. You're going to know all the names. I mean, I'll well, tell you that right now. No, I know. But no, I know. But I'm trying to figure out, like, do I, like, kind of shoot a really early shot? Uh, mm. DeMarcus Cousins. Ooh. I would say that was shooting an early shot. Yes, that is correct. Marcus Cousins. Because that was the year he got traded, like, and he was there all the controversy at the All Star game, That's right? right? Or am I off? Right. Or am I off a year? I no, think I think I'm off right. a year. Actually, right. I'm off a year. It was 2018. Okay, because it was the, uh, it was the same year that Pelicans made a playoff run. That's right. Okay. He recently said, "Do I get extra points for for any of that?" No. Do I, no. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> Andrew, your turn. Clay Thompson, scary, isn't it? Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is correct, Andrew. On the team. Back to Mike. Uh, well, let's go with his teammate, Draymond Green. That is also correct. I thought those were probably the two easiest guys. You know, 2017 Warriors, come on. Uh, back to Andrew. Was Jason Tatum a reserve that year? Jason Tatum, was he a reserve that year? Andrew, he was not! I don't think he wasn't even in the league. A point. 17. Oh, wow. Yeah, he wasn't in the league. Andrew. Andrew. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, Speaking of the Celtics, let's go with Isaiah Thomas. Uh, That is true. You didn't even need to give another name, but that is correct. You want to throw out any more just for fun? Yeah, wait. Let me see if I can name all. Uh, Al Horford. No. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Butler, Bradley Beal. Uh, Jimmy made it as a starter. John uh, Wall. Bradley. Beal oh no, John made it. John yeah, Wall. John Wall did make it. John Wall. Um, was Beal on Russell there? Westbrook? He's a reserve. No, that's not unless, unless he was a starter. Yeah, what, Russell was a reserve. Demar Derozan. Uh, nope. I'm just gonna read him too. Kyle uh, Lowry. You've missed too many. Uh, Kyle Lowry is correct. <laughs> Paul George, Kemba Walker, PG, Carmelo, Kemba, mm. Kevin Love. DeAndre Jordan and Mark Gasol, and the final one, Paul Millsap. Oh, I got the wrong Hawks. I got the wrong Hawk. Okay. Uh, score is tied. Paul Millsap. Andrew, you control the board. Yeah, not too long ago. Number two. Two-two. Tied two-two. Two-two. Uh, Andrew, which player traded on deadline day has the most points this season? Oh. Uh, well, 
like immediately I think Boyan, but I just don't know if he's played enough games. Um, hey, is it PJ Washington? I don't know, Andrew. That is incorrect. Mike gets a chance to steal. I might have said PJ Washington too. Actually, so I'm glad that's not that. Uh, okay, um, it's probably like uh, one of the crap point guards who got traded. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I mean, relatively speaking, obviously uh, they're less crap. Than, I'm more crap than they are at basketball. Uh, if you if you weren't, you wouldn't be on this show. <laughs> just, just no, actually, no, actually, I chose this life. I could have totally got to the ordinary. Uh, let's see. Uh, hey, Andrew, just letting you know right now. Yeah. Uh, EJ Washington has only scored 23 fewer points than the correct answer. Oh, interesting. So it's been close. That hurts. I have, I have another guess now. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you don't get to say it. I won't say it. I won't say it. Okay, let's see. It's not Bogdanovich because he hasn't played enough. It's also not Alec Burks because he couldn't hit a shot for a while. Was so bad. <laughs> uh, is it, it's not Spencer Dinwiddie, is it? No, he's, he's been also crap. Um, let's see. Hey, you're talking just deadline day, right? Yeah, just on deadline day. Somebody healed. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. See, I thought that was the easy question, by the way. Uh, spoiler. Okay. The rest of these are hard. Wow. Um, okay. Mike, you have control of the board, and you're up by one. Uh, Four questions to go. And again, I get the same number of points for answering. It's not like there's a difficulty ranking for answering the hard ones. Uh, that is true, although some of these... Uh, there is one question left where you can get three points. Oh, interesting. Well, then I'm going to go with eight. Question number eight. That's not it. Basketball <laughs> reference. <laughs> List 827 buzzer beaters in NBA history. Game-winning shots with the shooter's team tied or trailing and no time on the clock when the shot was made. Four players who were traded yesterday have multiple buzzer beaters in their career. We've already talked about two of them. One is Buddy Heald. One is Gordon Hayward. Name the other uh, two. And you get one point Spencer per Spencer Dinwiddie. That is incorrect. What? Well, he had. I know he had one. I could have sworn he part. Well, I asked. I, asked I know. I kind of figured he must have had another one at some point. <laughs> well, then why? Why'd you act so amazed? Well, because I mean, okay. I could have sworn I remember a second one. I know the one he had uh, when he was with Dallas against the Celtics that one year. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they're very specific on what they qualify as a buzzer beater. Um, and if he had one in the play, I don't know if these are just regular season. Um, but it, the one they have in here was with Dallas against Brooklyn, March 2022. Oh, was the Dallas one? Oh, was the Boston one not technically a buzzer beater? Okay, come on. I lost on technicality. That's, that's BS. Mm. Uh, I, I explained <laughs> the shot type to you at the beginning for this exact reason. <laughs> I know, but wait, I think I might need to double check this. Well, continue. Remind me. There was zero there's there a, on the clock. There's a list on basketball reference. All 827 in the history of the game. And you refuse to believe it. That means you don't trust basketball reference. You think they're out to get you. Uh, uh, you know what? I was wrong. There was nine seconds left. Okay, fine. They let me know that a guy named Zelmo Beatty in 1968 <laughs> game winner. 
Zelmo, unassisted. Zero. No, uh, it, was, it was with it was with nine seconds left. I I think I in my head I think I had the Brooklyn one and the Boston one. I thought there were two buzzer beaters, but mm-hmm. there really just one. Well, I apologize that you didn't get the points, but that means Andrew has a chance to steal two points. What you about Dennis? Dennis, Dennis Schroeder. No, also wrong. Seriously, what about All the, right. what about the whenever Stephen Adams threw the oh the my god ball to him? <laughs> Do you remember okay, that? Well, first of all, that wasn't a buzzer beater to win the game. That was to tie it to send it into overtime. Oh come on! This it was at the. I think we could just release. It. I mean, just just like release. This was this was way easier if you just if you just you should just shut up for a second and thought about guys who are shooters who would be taking threes at the end of games. Boyan Bogdanovich. Boyan. Evan Fournier. Evan Fournier. Yeah, right. If I had just thought for a second, I would have remembered Evan Fournier. That's right. I would have remembered Zelmo Beatty. <laughs> okay, Andrew, board is yours. I'm still down by one. Number five. Question number five. This is the question where you could get three points, Andrew. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The oldest player traded yesterday was Robin Lopez at 35 years, 313 days. He's older than Thaddeus Young, which surprised me. Huh. During his career, Robin Lopez averaged double-digit points for three different franchises. Name all three. Oh, my gosh. Um, double-digit points. Double-digit points. Yeah. For Robin Lopez. Robin Lopez. Okay. Like I, I could, in my brain, like now I'm just thinking about Fred's um, article that he wrote about Robin Lopez hook shot, shot, yeah, which was just oh, yeah. amazing. But I don't know that he averaged that many points that year. But like that's all I can think about. Um, five hook shots a game gets you to ten points. It's true. I just don't know that it. I just don't know that he took five that year. <laughs> um, I think he did it with Chicago. Andrew, that is correct for one point, and the game is tied. Okay, um, he's played for a lot of teams. That is also correct. <laughs> um, Stanford, Stan- Stanford. Uh, oh, he he probably had to do it with Portland. Yes, yes, he did. Can you get the final one, Andrew? To um, sweep the points. Gosh, now I'm like, did he do it with the Wizards? Like, I really don't feel like he did. That feels like a trap. Um, Interesting. It feels like a trap that I have made for myself. Um, and then. Just wonder if he did it with Phoenix early on, because he was there for a minute. Oh, I'll just, I'll just, just lull myself into this trap, just because I can't stop thinking about the hook shots. I'll say the Wizards. The Wizards for the Wizards, he averaged nine point oh. zero points per game. This means Mike, you could steal a point here. Uh, All right, and these other team. All right, so if I if I name every team he's played for in my preamble, do I get like half a point or something? Uh, no. In fact, I would I would take away a point. For you knowing that, that's, that's, that's you shouldn't that, know that. The business trigger is, isn't it? No one should know that. No All right, should know fine. That. So it's either it's either Phoenix or I can't remember if he did it with the Knicks. Okay, mm, I'm gonna go with Phoenix. Okay, that's wrong. Uh, his highest for the for the Suns was uh, eight point four. But as you were talking, I realized uh, there was an extra question for the or an extra answer hmm. and the extra answer was the Knicks which I really originally did not write down because I missed it for some reason but the other one which I don't even remember this at all 
the New Orleans Hornets. Oh, played, yeah, 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 yeah. Played and yeah, started right. 82 games for them. Finished 27th in most improved player that year. Pretty mm. I have, like, no recollection. Uh, so I actually did it for four teams. Okay, Mike, you're down by one, but you have control of the board. Two questions left. But I don't get credit for saying the Knicks? Okay. Uh, seven. Question number seven. Thaddeus Young has 1607. That's a way to say it. 1,607 steals in his career. Wow. Which is fourth among active players. Name all three active players ahead of him. And you have to get all three to get the points because I feel like two of them are gimmies. Yeah. Uh, Chris Paul. Yes. That is correct. Mm-hmm. LeBron. Yes. And can you get the final one? Were those, those were the two gimmies, I assume, right? Yeah. I feel like those were pretty straightforward. Okay. Uh, can you get the third one? 1,607 steals, you said. And I assume mm. it's not a player that was traded, right? Uh, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it wouldn't be a player that was traded. It's just any player. Um, any player. Active player. Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, Andre Iguodala is not active anymore. That's what I would have said. Uh, let's see. Um, this is not Durant. Maybe it's Durant. Uh, Ooh, could man, it, Iggy had a lot of steals. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. That is correct for two points. All right. Mike pulls ahead. Right. Five to four. Going into the final question. Andrew, what a question to end with. Oh, no. If you get this right, you win the week. Okay? okay. Here we go. Okay. Marcus Morris Sr. was traded to his eighth team today. Yesterday. Not today. Yesterday. Which teammate has Morris played the most amount of games with in his career? Marcus Morris Sr. Should I do the thing like that players do, like where they kind of come up to the free throw line and remind the player, like, you know, you know, for the win, right? Yeah, Yeah, you you can do that. Just so you know, it's for the win. Okay, I'm doing that right now. Uh, StreamYard has uh, visual effects now, so you can distract them with that by doing different hand Uh, gestures. I'm I'm just going to stay silent. That's white noise, I think, to him. Uh, Andrew, what are you going to guess? This is for Um, the win. I really don't don't feel like I know this one. Um, (laughs) So, like, not even do you not know it, you don't even want to answer. You don't even care to know what the answer is. I don't. I don't. Marcus Morris. I really just have no clue even what to say here. Alex, Robert Covington, I just have no idea. Andrew, that is incorrect, which means Mike wins the week. Mike, any guesses? I had a little bonus point here. I had one, but I I don't know if this is like too clever. Um, Who is it? I'm going to guess Markeith Morris. Ooh, way too clever. But but yeah, good idea. That crossed my mind. Reggie Jackson. Oh, Yeah, because they played together at two different spots. They played together in Los Angeles and with the... uh, Oh, Detroit. Detroit, yeah. Detroit. Oh, yeah. I forget about Marcus Morris in Detroit. Gross. I almost made a huge error, though, on this question by accidentally clicking on the link for Marquis first, and I was about to say uh, Marcin Gortat, which wouldn't have made any sense. (laughs) That would have been so embarrassing for me, personally, as a game master. Mm. So I'm very glad I figured it out. Uh, Congratulations! Mike Prada, oh, winning for the Andrew versus the Beat. Uh, I'd gosh. like to thank uh, my parents for 
cut his mic. <laughs> I'd like to thank my parents for, you know, raising me. I like to thank all my fellow editors for their support. Um, want to thank, uh, want to thank all you guys and the Athletic NBA Show for inviting me uh, on the podcast. Want to thank Alex for, you know, only subtly rigging the deck for me. Uh, that was very sweet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mike Prada, yeah. thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Sam Amick and to Mike Prada for joining today's show. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it right here on the show. So be sure to do that. And we will be back next week with the Wheel of Fandom. We still have, we'll have two weeks of Wolves Week wolves weeks so be sure to tune into that i uh, hope you guys enjoy your weekend and the basketball and we'll talk to you guys again next friday